0: you KPFK, your very own radio, 90.7 FM, all over Southern California. Out of Santa Barbara County, we're at 98.7 FM. Hello, Santa Barbara and surrounding environs. And, of course, streaming for the world at KPFK.org, podcast archived on KPFK.org. And uh, happy to be with you today. Time now for Inner Vision. My name is Michael Benner, your host till 2 o'clock this afternoon. Inner Vision is a program about spirituality, about consciousness, really. We usually describe it as a strip that's heard in different formats all week long about spirituality. But my focus on Friday is particularly about consciousness, And what we mean by that is just how awake or how aware are we. Uh, It's about going deeper than just what you think to why do you think the things that you think. Why do you believe what you believe? Uh, Today we're going to actually focus on emotional feelings. Why do you feel these moods, these affects, these emotions, and what in the world do they mean And uh, why are they so hard to manage, especially anger? What is with this over-the-top anger? Uh, Watching politicians lose it on the... uh, I saw a couple of uh, veterans on a television news program yesterday. One was an anti-war Iraqi veteran. One was a pro-war Iraqi vet. And both of them about, gosh, seconds into their exchange, were screaming at each other, just (laughs) totally lost control. And uh, it's understandable that it happens to everybody. There are skills and tools for managing emotions as well as interpreting the meaning of emotions for there's great wisdom in our emotional nature. Even the portal to spiritual growth, the doorway, if you will, to spiritual growth goes through Emotional intelligence, or what today I'm going to call emotional literacy. And we're going to talk about emotional illiteracy and and uh, how to become more emotionally literate. And we'll take your telephone calls a little bit later in the program. Uh, usually at about half past, we'll open up to telephones, take your questions, your comments in particular, and... Um, And uh, any questions on this whole subject? I have a brief announcement I want to make at the top of the program. And uh, I'm happy to do this because this is a fellow that I've met uh, on a couple of occasions. I had the fortune, good fortune and the honor of interviewing him on this radio program some months ago. And... uh, I'm going to be out of town next week, just for a week. I'll be back two weeks from today. But uh, next week we have a special program for you, and I want you to make it a point to tune in. My wife, Doreen Key, is going to be interviewing the last survivor of the World Trade Center on 9-11, William Rodriguez. Now, besides just being a really nice guy, a heck of a guy, And I came to—I came actually to find out that William at one point was a uh, escape artist and uh, and a hypnotist and did uh, sleight of hand, illusion, magic, and all of that. But for the last twenty years, was a janitor at the World Trade Center, sanitary engineer, whatever you want to call him. He had no problem being called uh, a janitor, but he had the master key. For every door in the whole North Tower, he had the master key. And thank God, because William has testified numerous times to the media, even to the 9-11 Commission, that he had to use that master key in the basement of that first tower to rescue people who had suffered uh, injury, serious injury, from explosions in the basement of that North Tower, before the first airplane hit. Yes, here is the janitor, the man with the master key, who had worked there for 20 years, who was for a time in charge of security at the governor's office in that same World Trade Center. And uh, he says no question about it. He said elevators were flooding, the sprinklers had gone off. He heard the kaboom on a couple of different occasions Uh, People were injured, seriously injured, bleeding, and all of this before the first airplane hit. He testified to that so-called bipartisan congressional uh, whitewash committee, that's what I'll call it, and uh, there's no mention of him in their final report. So, like the Warren Commission and other commissions, it was a whitewash, so. Tune in next week, a week from today. Special programming. Doreen will be interviewing William Rodriguez, and also you'll be able to meet William that night. Okay, one week from tonight, at seven o'clock at Emmanuel Presbyterian Church, 3300 Wilshire Boulevard. Ed Asner is going to be there, and hopefully you'll be there too to meet William and Ed and shake their hands and thank William for his courage. You can imagine how courageous. Uh, you would have to be to come forward and say, I'm sorry, but there were kabooms going off in the basement, big explosions before the first airplane hit. Uh, And you can let your imagination run uh, at that point. So anyway, one week from tonight at the uh, Emanuel Presbyterian Church, 7 o'clock, Ed Asner and William Rodriguez, And this is co-sponsored by KPFK, so you can get more information on the kpfk.org website. Or you can call Good Karma PR at 805-653-1588. And be sure and listen to Doreen interview William a week from today. Okay, so special intervision program with Doreen interviewing William Rodriguez one week from today and then that evening at 7 o'clock at Emanuel Press. Okay, again, for more info, 805-653-1588, or visit the kpfk.org website. And then I'll be back two weeks from today with more regu- of our of our regular programming. Well, I want to talk about emotional literacy today and emotional illiteracy. And I'm the first one to confess that I spent the vast majority of my life, essentially emotionally illiterate, as are most people. Uh, It's funny, we send our brains to school, and we learn to think, some of us. Uh, We honor in this society, and certainly most societies, logic and rational thinking. We encourage our uh, friends and neighbors, our, our, our children, <laughs> and sometimes our parents, to be reasonable, be logical, uh, think for yourself. And, uh, we learn mentally, uh, to understand facts and figures, to do math and science. All of these are mental endeavors. And you can go all the way through college and get a degree or an advanced degree and have a half a dozen different letters after your name and still have absolutely no emotional intelligence, still suffer from emotional illiteracy. And I mean that in two ways. I'm going to talk about both of these aspects of emotional illiteracy and how to become more emotionally literate, and then again about 20 minutes from now or so, we'll open up the telephone lines and give you a shot. You can jump in here, and uh, maybe you have horror stories of your own emotional illiteracy or uh, a good story about how you got smart and began to develop what now is being called EQ. I'm not saying that there are tests that we can – well, there are actually some inventories of emotional intelligence that are being developed – a lot of it out of Harvard University and the work of a fellow there named Daniel Goleman. He is credited by many people with having coined the term emotional intelligence and wrote a book by that name and then another one, Emotional Intelligence at Work, and uh, which is where it's really needed. Talk about the belly of the beast. Um, think of the bosses that we've all had. Somebody even wrote a book along these lines, I think it was something like, If You're So Damn Smart, Why Are You Not Successful? And looking at successful people, we see a lot of them are not really all that smart intellectually. They do not have high IQ, but they enjoy the benefits of high EQ. In other words, they have good personal skills, their interpersonal relationships, their communication skills. Uh, are highly developed. And that's about 80% of your success. Did you know that? That's one little inventory that's come down the pike, and that may need adjusting. But it looks at this point like success in a commercial sense, in a business sense, is about 20% mental intelligence and 80% emotional intelligence. In other words, how well do you get along with people? Are you perceived as fair? Do you understand how to motivate people? Do you have good empathy skills? And uh, I don't know, maybe it's just my my experience in radio that uh, I run into so many uh, in commercial radio. The managers, <laughs> I'm not going to name any names, but commercial radio, the managers I worked for, some of them are just like dumb as a doormat. It's like they just never, well, you've seen what's happened to commercial radio. That's why you're listening to KPFK, right? They destroyed it. And uh, they're same guys are destroying the music business as well. And it looks like the banks are about to tumble here, too. It's all caving in on us. Oops, cave in. There's another little entendre for the day today. But uh, if 80% of your success has to do with emotional literacy, then we should talk about these two areas. Number one, how do you interpret the meaning of your emotions? And are you even aware that you feel the way you feel for a reason? And instead of simply saying, well, I'm angry, yeah, but why are you angry? Or I'm hurt, or I'm lonely, or I'm sad. A lot of people just can't even make I feel statements. I feel fill in the blank. What a lot of people do, I see this in my practice, is they will say, I feel you are, and go right back to their judgments and their thoughts. <laughs> I'll always remember a couple I had years and years ago. This goes way back to when I was, well, mid-80s, when I was just leaving commercial radio to teach personal and spiritual development. And I had a couple that I was counseling on emotional intelligence, emotional literacy. And after some conversation, I said to this woman who's sitting on one end of the sofa in my office, turn to your husband and tell him how you feel. And she said, uh, well, I feel uh, angry and I'm, and I'm frustrated and I'm, I'm irritated. I feel lonely and, and I'm, I'm a bit depressed right now, as a matter of fact. And, well, oh, gosh, uh, there's a bunch of feelings I don't really understand, so I guess I could say I feel confused as well. And she did a real good job of laying out her feelings. Then, as is often the case in reflective communication, you ask the partner to play that back you see, the goal being to be heard and understood. In fact, that's one of the big clues in emotional literacy. When you argue with someone, you only think you need to be right. You only believe you need to make the other person wrong so that you are right. And we only believe that the other person in the argument is doing the same thing, that they want to be right and need some agreement, and of course that's not the case. What we want is acknowledgement. There's about $5,000 worth of therapy in that sentence right there. What we <laughs> what we want is not agreement, but just acknowledgement. We just want to know that the other person understands us. You don't care if your partner agrees with you. This is much more difficult to accomplish in the workplace. It's difficult enough at home. But uh, to go back to the story, the husband then plays back his wife's feelings, and then it's his turn. And I said to the gentleman, I said, now I want you to do the same thing that your wife did, turn. He's on the opposite end of this very long couch. Face your wife and tell her how you feel. He turned, he looked at her, he said, I feel you're a bitch. And I said, no, man, no, no, that's not a feeling. You know, didn't you hear the words your wife used? I feel and then the words that followed were all emotional feeling words like lonely or sad or depressed or angry or frustrated. I feel a a, a statement that begins, I feel (laughs) is to be followed by the name of an emotion. I said, you're a bitch. That's not a feeling. He said, but that's how I feel. I said, no, that's what you think. That's a judgment based on feelings you can't seem to express. Now, that was uh, almost 30 years ago as I was just beginning this uh, practice, and uh, I've seen it countless times since then. And oddly, the more over-the-top we get, the more angry, the more frustrated we get, uh the less likely we are to understand the meaning of our feelings much less manage our behavior those are the two parts of emotional intelligence i want to talk about today interpreting the language of emotional feelings yeah okay if you if you even have the ability to say how you feel rather than <laughs> what you think is a result of these these uh, feelings can you interpret the meaning? And what would the meaning be about? Would it be about you or the person who, quote, made you feel that way? And secondly, how do we manage over-the-top feelings? Those I think are two parts of emotional literacy that we really need to begin with. And again, going to, in just a few minutes, open the telephones and solicit your comments, your questions about this whole topic. Now, first of all... And we touched on this just a little bit last week. We were talking about freedom with Paul Krasner on this program last week, and talking about deeper freedoms than guarantees in the Declaration of Independence or the Constitution or or, or the Bill of Rights. How free could anybody be in spite of? Uh, such government guarantees if we're not free to think for ourselves. And the same thing goes to feelings. How free can you be if you don't understand why you feel the way you feel or what those emotional feelings say about you? And this is where I want to begin to break it down for you, okay? It's got to begin with an understanding that emotions are a deeply intimate and personal response to whatever is happening to you. That your emotions cannot be given to you or done to you. And the idea that somebody could make you feel angry or make you lonely or make you feel anything is absurd on the surface. Okay. If I stood uh, uh, 10 people up, randomly selected 10 people and had them stand side by side, and one at a time I said the same hurtful, insulting, nasty thing to each one of them, it would elicit, for the most part, 10 very different responses from each individual. That's the way it should be, because the emotion is much more related to your response than to anything done to you. Uh, I remember a guy years ago calling me on the radio and saying, Michael, I really need your help with something. And I said, yeah, yeah, what what can I help you with? He said, I don't know, man, if you can help me with this or not, but I, I really hope you can help me. And I said, yeah, yeah, tell me. Finally, he comes out with it. Michael, people make me get into fights. I said, what? People make me get into fights with them, like in bars, and, and, you know, they they just badmouth me. I don't know. It was something about me, maybe. I don't know. But they make me get into fights. and, And I said, how do they do that, you know? People make me angry. Really? How do they do that? People make me feel she made me jealous. He made me They gave, you're a victim of your feelings. And here it is, somehow, 2007. You know, how long have we been on this earth? Two million, three million, four million years? Let's just say roughly three million years. And we think our emotions are done to us rather than evoked from us? Oh, I'm talking about a response to some circumstance, some event, some stimulus that you may not like. Michael Benner is calling me names over there. But the way you react or respond, the feeling that you experience is yours. And that's the critical, that's certainly an important beginning step in understanding emotional literacy, becoming emotional emotionally literate or emotionally intelligent, is to take responsibility, take ownership, become accountable for your feelings, see them as responses, and then develop your ability to substitute an even-tempered, well-reasoned response for the knee-jerk reaction. That will change your life. Most people want to change the whole world. a lot of folks here at KPFK want to change the whole world so that they benefit as individuals. Like, the best reason to stop war and create peace is so I have some peace of mind. No, that (laughs) that is not the best reason to stop war. Uh, And it's not going to work anyway. We need justice if there's going to be peace. There has to be justice obviously. But to change the world so that we benefit, or to change other people, to change your wife or your husband, to, to manipulate or influence or cajole or threaten uh, your boss or your coworkers or your employees, your parents, your children, or the dog even, to make your life work is primitive on the surface, and yet this is what the vast majority of people do. And the more emotionally upset we get, negative in our emotional feelings, the more At victim we become, the more helpless, and the more we try to struggle to fight back to control the world rather than control our response to it. In navigation and sailing, there's an old saw that uh, you can't control the wind, so you trim your sails. Would that people really understood that. We can't control other people. I don't know if you've noticed, but other people cannot be controlled. Uh, The people of Iraq cannot be forced to see themselves as Iraqis when it's a made-up idea that goes back uh, about 70 years or less. Iraq. The British invented it. They're the Kurds. They're the Shia. They're the Sunni. They're tribal peoples. They're Muslims, and they're at odds with each other. And similarly, you cannot force upon people democracy. You can't control people. The military finally, late in Vietnam, began to talk about winning the hearts and minds, and we're beginning to hear that again, like we forgot that lesson. This is why war does not work, why war never works, why war always has to be followed by talking, by mediation and diplomacy, arbitration and conciliation and negotiation. You sit down and talk it out. There's just so much money to be made in the violence and the mayhem. And we are emotionally illiterate. Could we put an end to war by understanding that our feelings are our feelings? Take some ownership for the response instead of blame your feelings on others and give all your power away. If somebody upsets you and you insist, yeah, I hit him, but he made me mad. You should hear what he said to me and the way he talked to me. And she made me jealous, the blankety-blankety-blank. Do you know what she did to me? And therefore, um, I'm to be understood, excused, and forgiven for my horrible behavior because it's not my fault. And so we give our power away to other people to make us feel ways that we claim we really don't want to feel. Personally, I love the Eleanor Roosevelt quote, no one can make you feel inferior without your consent. For a long time, I had that in a frame on the wall in my office. I love it. No one can make you feel inferior without your consent. Somebody says you're stupid and it makes you angry. Isn't it obvious as you sit there and think about it now that the anger is a response to being told you were stupid and and could only come up as evidence that you think, in fact, the person who insulted you has a pretty good point? If you knew that you are not a stupid person, you may not be Einstein, you may not have a genius IQ, but you know you're not a stupid person, how could that hurt? If you if you know yourself, <laughs> and, I, and I think what we think about ourselves is far less relevant than how we feel. I think thoughts are basically objective for understanding everything but you. You have a second way of knowing and understanding dedicated to your uniqueness, your individuality, and that's your emotional self. And if we took ownership, if we said, well... This person claims that I'm stupid. Said I was stupid, just right in front of everybody. Said Benner, you're stupid. You're an idiot. You're a moron. Which has actually happened on this <laughs> on this program more than once. Well, if I was 25, I'd probably get upset. If I'm having a bad day, maybe the car broke down, my wife is sick, and uh, the the dog died or something. I might be emotionally already simmering on the back burner, and I could conceivably uh, forget that my emotions are about me for a little while. But I can recover quickly. I can I can reduce from days to hours to minutes the amount of time it takes me to remember. Wait a minute! These feelings are mine. They're about me. All emotions are responses. They're personal, they're intimate, they're mine. And if I knew I was not stupid, how could somebody hurt me? In fact, not only would I not be hurt, but instead of being angry as a result, I could actually have compassion for the person that tried to control me by calling me stupid or some bigoted term, perhaps. Okay, have compassion because I'm clear enough to recognize that this poor, pathetic person, not knowing how to build themselves up, is trying to tear me down so that relatively they they feel they're in the game and, and, and that they're okay. So when somebody calls you stupid, imagine having the capacity to, in the moment, enjoy a quality of compassion maybe enjoys the wrong word, to understand compassion on such a level that it's really coming from the name-caller's fear that they are the stupid one. It's a funny reflection, kind of barber house mirrors situation. The school kids know this. We say, even the little kids on the playground will say, uh, it takes one to know one. Or, I know you are, what am I? You know, those little games that somebody taught you, an older brother, a parent, to say when the kids come to bully you. More sophisticated version of that, we find in philosophy, um, what the self describes, describes the self. That's heavy. What the self describes, describes the self. Or, uh, even older, I think this goes back to the Talmud. Um, we see the world not as it is, but as we are. You getting a handle on what I'm talking about? Eight one eight nine eight five five seven three five. Emotional literacy really begins by taking ownership of the feelings. Those are yours. You know, if you get confused about this, All you have to do is draw a parallel to physical pain. We seem to understand this about physical pain. It's like, hey, uh, Joe, what's that bruise there on your arm? That's a pretty bad-looking bruise, pretty nasty bruise. Who did that to you? How does that feel? You see, maybe Joe got the bruise because somebody hit him with a baseball bat and caused the bruise, and caused the pain. That's the stimulus, but the pain, you see, reflects the injury and really says nothing about the guy that hit Joe, says nothing about whether he hit him with a baseball bat, a golf club, or a hammer. The pain is not about the stimulus. It's about the response. So Joe knows that about his physical pain. But when we say, Sally broke my heart, or that Jimmy's such a jerk, he makes me so angry, we just haven't matured to the point, only been here three million years, we haven't grown up to the point that we understand our emotional feelings as a response to what's been done to us, and much more about us than the stimulus. And I think... This key concept could change the world. I mean, starting with war, <laughs> and not just international war, but the war that people have in their homes, and uh, you know, with lovers and, and spouses and and warring with the kids and with your parents who don't seem to understand you? Well, of course they don't understand you. They are blaming you and holding you responsible for their feelings, and you're doing the same thing. I'll bet you. I'll just bet you. Because I don't hear too many people talking about this core principle of emotional literacy. There's a lot more to this. The Developing of the intuitive nature to help you interpret the meaning of the feeling. Once you take ownership of it, there are subtleties of meaning that you can, once you develop your intuition, use to really understand yourself deeply and change your feelings. (laughs) didn't know you could do that. We talk about, well, I changed my behavior. Habit control. Well, I changed my mind. I gave it a lot of thought, and I just changed my mind. Who do you hear saying, well, uh, I was really angry, but I changed my feelings? (laughs) We give our power away. We let other people do that to us. You know, again, whether it's somebody living under your own roof or uh, George Bush drives you crazy. It's maddening. Own the feeling. Breathe. Relax. Relax. And uh then, of course, managing those over-the-top feelings. How many things that we've said in our lives would we take back in a nanosecond if we could? Things that we said that we immediately regretted or resented having said. Things that we do that we wish within instance, oh, my God, I can't believe I did that. You know? because we're emotionally illiterate. Keep sending the old brain to school. We're going to think, we're going to be logical, we're going to be analytical, but we're going to hold others responsible for the most intimate of emotional sensitivity. What do you think? Eight one eight nine eight five five seven three five. emotional intelligence, emotional literacy, personal responsibility for how you feel and who you are, Love to hear from you. Brooks is our producer. You'll talk to her, 818-985-KPFK, 985-5735, the 818 area code. We're going to take a short break. We'll come back in just moments with your telephone calls on Vision with Michael Benner. Together, we're listening to KPFK.
1: For over 50 years, Philosophy East and West with Alan Watts has been broadcast on Pacifica Radio. KPFK continues this tradition with Alan Watts, Sunday mornings at 8.30. That's Alan Watts, Philosophy East and West, Sundays at 8.30 a.m. on KPFK Los Angeles. You're only really free and unashamedly creative and adventurous radio station in the
0: world. KPFK and your very own radio, 90.7 FM, all over Southern California, all over you kpfk powered by the people in santa barbara county 98.7 on the fm dial and streaming for the world at kpfk.org i want to remind you about the podcast uh especially since uh i guess i sort of learned a lesson and i want to share it with you we've been podcasting this program free freely without charge for uh for over a year as the uh, technology becomes available and and we learn about it and uh you can subscribe to that podcast on the kpfk.org website it's as easy as listen it's even easier than than listening to a streaming link or a downloadable link uh podcast just means we deliver We just you subscribe once and then the program is put on your computer once a week that's how it works and uh I guess the big challenge here is to get people to understand you don't need to have an iPod to get a podcast. It doesn't matter whether you mirror it onto your iPod or your portable MP3 player and listen to it that way. It's got to go to your computer first, so... I, lots of people say, oh no, I don't listen to your podcast, Ben, or I don't have an iPod. You don't need one. It just, it just means we put it on the computer, we deliver. You don't have to go to the site every week and click a button to download it. It's, uh, it's put there for you. Whether you have an iPod or not, it goes right to your iTunes. And the best way to subscribe is either at the kpfk.org website, yeah, go to archives, look up this program, uh I just got a report from Ali, our web guy. We have about four thousand hits a month right now um for uh for this program, so that's pretty good. Uh, we're very excited about that. Or just go to the iTunes Music Store and subscribe there. Put my name into the search blank and a couple of programs come up, this one and and another I did a few years ago in Human Potential. And uh, subscribe to either or both. And then if we get bumped, as we did a couple of weeks ago, um, it'll always be there, okay? This program is going to be produced, whether it's broadcast or podcast, it's going to be done one way or the other. So let's get clear on that new technology. And if you're still intimidated by it all, find yourself a 12-year-old, and they'll help you out. They grew up with this stuff, okay? Okay. Coming to a computer near you. We're talking about emotional literacy and intervision today. We're going to go to the telephones now, take your calls, and see if we can uh, get you on the road to recovering your power. Even if I use the word blame and, and go beyond the idea of emotional literacy Whenever we blame other people or hold others responsible, you give your power away. That means they must change, or you must change them, or influence, or persuade, or threaten, or buy off, bribe, whatever. But uh, by taking responsibility for the situation, you empower yourself, you give yourself options, you give yourself choices. And again, what could be more intimate than how you feel? take ownership of your emotional feelings, and your EQ will leap. Again, there are some techniques. We'll see if we can talk about them today. If not today, we'll talk about in the future. More specific techniques that you can use. You probably know I'm talking about some sort of meditation, contemplation, formal introspection, you know, breathing, relaxation, close your eyes, that's when intuition bubbles up. You must have a still body, a clear mind, and a calm heart to experience your intuitive nature. Whether it comes to you as pictures in your mind or voices in your head, so to speak, or just a sensation in your body, Different people experience intuition in different ways. It may be the dawning of an idea or a light bulb coming out, or you could be struck by lightning in a sense. But intuition is incredibly, incredibly powerful as a way of interpreting the language of emotional feelings, understanding your feelings and what they have to teach you about you. And the way we know all of this is true is that when you get the aha, you get the insight, you get the, oh, well, no wonder I felt that way. Guess what happens to the hurt? It vaporizes. When you understand why you feel the way you feel, if it's a negative feeling, it goes away. Positive feelings you don't need to interpret. Positive feelings by their very nature. Anything that's love and happiness and joy and And peace of mind and and kindness and generosity and tolerance, that stuff by its very nature reflects what you already know about yourself. It's everything that hurts emotionally that reflects what you do not know about yourself, another of the basic rules of emotional literacy. Let's go to the telephone and see what our callers have to say on InterVision. We're going to start in Mission Viejo. And Chris, you're on InterVision with Michael Benner on KPFK. Hi.
1: Hi, Michael. Good to hear from you again. Thanks. Um, well, <clears throat> basically I've been accused of being too sensitive. <laughs> and uh, I kind of agree with them. But I don't know. If that's Is that a bad thing?
0: Well, it depends on the context. If you're if you're owning your feelings, really owning your feelings, I don't think there is such a thing. Uh, I suspect too sensitive is coming from people who think you want them to change their behavior so that you benefit. Is that true? Mm, I
1: want them. People think that I want them to change
0: their, change their behavior.
1: behavior so I benefit. Yeah. Uh, I yeah, I am guilty of that, but isn't everybody?
0: Well, yeah, I mean, but... to an extent. Yeah, a lot of people are, but I'm talking, that's that's part of the problem, is what nobody's teaching us, or too few people are teaching us. Far too little information is available about the power, uh, the incredible influence that we have over our own lives if we turn our lives around and take responsibility for how we feel. Again, you know that your physical feelings, whether done to you, or seemingly to occur spontaneously, are about you. Right. If I hit you in the face, God forbid, and give you a little bruise, I cause the pain, but the pain doesn't say anything about me. The pain is about your condition. If, God forbid, somebody gets hit by a a 2005 uh, Chevrolet out in front of the radio station, Their injuries and their pain says nothing about the car, the make, the model, the driver, the driver's intention. The pain was caused by the car and the driver, but you got to take ownership of it. It really reflects the injury, right? Mm -hmm. So if we know that about physical pain, how many more eons must go by before humanity begins to figure out that this is true for the way we feel emotionally? Can you give me a specific uh, uh, an instance of where somebody said you were too sensitive? They thought you were too sensitive. Um, too sensitive. Oh, maybe
1: maybe a couple years at work. Uh, Go at work. Uh, I was taking a walk with with a coworker and complaining about the boss and how how you know it's this is unfair and. You know, and I'm doing the, all the work, and, and they're not doing anything,
0: and
1: uh-huh. I'm not, I'm not getting a. Uh...
0: They're saying this to you. Did I lose Chris? Cell phone dropout. High tech, is wonderful, isn't it? Lost Chris. Too sensitive. <laughs> the phone's not sensitive enough. All right. If Chris calls back, we'll see if we can put him back on. Huh? Let's go to. Uh, In Los Angeles, Brad, you're on KPFK with Michael Benner. Hi, Brad. Hi,
2: Michael. Um, I was, like, struck by your comment about, you know, um, emotional intelligence and how we're responsible for our own emotional responses. Um, I was, like, thinking about George Bush, and he drives me crazy. I remember after the 2004 elections that he got really depressed. um, I'm in the Al-Anon program, and for a while there I was, like, you know, substituting like Republican neocons for alcoholics, and I'd say the twelve steps, because <laughs> um, I mean it's just like being in a relationship with an abusive drinker. Yes. Um, yes.
0: <laughs>
2: and I, I found it's like I really had to like I mean I really become I really stepped back from being engaged in the political process. I mean when I get the move on emails and stuff, I just don't even read them. Um,
0: well, at this point. And I think, Brad, you probably speak for a lot of KPFK listeners and those of us uh, who are programmers and and such here. It's like, what is there that we don't know? I mean, it's just more of uh, this. I'm at a loss for words. All the superlatives we used up years ago in the beginning days of this administration and the war and and. That a that a quarter of our neighbors are so brain dead, they still, uh, you know, are afraid to align with Democrats. So they got to support George. It's it's it is a little scary. And
2: well, I guess my my question is like how how do I how do I own my feelings of like depression and anger? You know, I mean, how how do I change myself in this situation?
0: Well, it starts by in a nice quiet state meditative introspective contemplative state i know you as a very creative guy happy birthday by the way you well, thank a, you you have a birthday soon don't you or did it just I had, it. had it already good so you're 29 again that's right yeah nice for the 50th time. <laughs> you go to that nice quiet state that creative state and ask the question what does this say about me what and you can say it in a variety of ways one of the phrases i like to use personally is what it, in in this situation i ask myself when i get nice and quiet what is my personal growth lesson what can i understand about myself from the way i feel now that that war upsets us and angers us uh that injustice in general drives us crazy i mean what does that say about us? It says that we're tender, loving, kind, considerate, caring, passionate, compassionate people.
2: Well, then it sounds like the, the change that I need to make is almost like a sort of follow up to the previous caller's question is like, I need to stop being so sensitive.
0: <laughs> I, I don't think so because uh, maybe what we need to do is expose ourselves less to the input of more information about how corrupt the world is and channel some of it, this is a challenge to all of us, uh, in some sort of appropriate response, whether it's writing letters or, or I know you're an artist, you, you express yourself in your artwork. Uh, I happen to have a talk show, that's wonderful. Uh, I've been writing uh, l- more letters to congresspeople people. We could write to magazines. We can get involved as activists. We can boycott and protest and picket and march. And there's even direct action. Whatever, whatever happened to direct action? Right. Why aren't more of us going to jail, um, sitting down, making trouble? It's just, uh, I, I think uh, to a large extent, a lot of us have either given up on the proven tactics That have worked in the labor movement and workers' rights, uh, uh, the farm workers, uh, 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 black Americans fighting for their rights, women for their rights, and so on. And we've made progress in all these areas, but a lot of us are just burned out, frustrated, uh, tired, or yuppified. I think a lot of my friends have just become yuppified. They. They did it, and now they just rather worry about how they're going to make the payment on the BMW. I don't know. But we have to do whatever we can do. But I'll tell you this. What could be more frustrating than feeling like we are victims of our emotional feelings? And that as long as these Republicans are in office and the do-nothing Democrats are taking money from the very same interests – And Hillary was pretty clear about it the other day. She loves lobbyists, and uh, so there's not much hope down the road. Uh, Some sort of palace revolution, some sort of, uh, uh, I don't know exactly what it's going to take, but certainly some involvement. And the more we feel victims of our emotions, the less involved I think we're going to be. But if we take ownership of the feeling and say, you damn right I'm angry. I'm angry because I'm a gentle person in a violent world, because I'm a person who has a passion for justice in an unjust or unjust world, and then we go do something about it. it and I think part of that is got to accept that little things add up, that we don't have to fix the world overnight. We'd like to, um, and and handle the whole process very quickly, but it's going to take a lot of little steps. And if we would take the sociologist's view or the anthropologist's view (laughs) or even the archaeologist's view of things, we can see humanity progressing. We're unfolding. It's just so damn slow that it's frustrating for sensitive people to live in an insensitive world. It's just tough for us. But I don't think we're too sensitive. I think maybe we need to just be more active, keep doing what we're doing, and maybe a little more patient, too. But I don't want to be too patient. I think we ought to raise some hell. I'm a little mystified by why we can march for a couple of years and then stop marching because I'm too busy or, um, or whatever. Some people, you know are doing other things. But as long as we're doing something, then we're going to feel less frustration. We're going to say, well, at least I wrote that letter today, or at least I, you know, boycotted this product, or I or I educated this person. I sponsored this teach-in. You know, I attended this KPFK event. I helped organize this KPFK event. I subscribe to KPFK now. <laughs> doing whatever we can do will help us with that frustration. That's empowering behavior, I think. So, okay. Thank you, buddy. Thank you. Nice hearing from you again. Bye. Let's go to Cerritos and uh, Amy. You're on KPFFK on Intervision with Michael Benner. Hello, Amy. Hi. How are you doing? I'm better and better. Thank you.
3: Well, um, I just have a comment to make. Um, I recent, well, not recently. Um, a few years ago, I was friends. Well, we had a strained relationship. But um, he made a a comment to me that affected, um, well, as you said, I basically responded to his comment um, really negatively. Um, It was a racial comment, and it was um, something I'd been dealing with my whole life, and it actually kind of ended our friendship. So I really understand um, how how, um, a reaction to... Someone else's, you know, gesture or word can affect your life. Um, I don't. It, it.
0: Does it still hurt you to think of that bigoted comment?
3: It. It does. Um, I know how to handle it more now, and I'm how? actually glad.
0: How do you do that?
3: Um, I realized that it was because I agreed with him. Um, the term he he mentioned was whitewashed, and um, I just had been dealing with that my whole life, and I did not expect him to say it. So, um, But now I, I think about how I feel, and I under, try to understand who I've tried to make myself to be and not concentrate on other people's negative comments because it's not about me in the end. So.
0: That's right. Or it is about you in the end, but you know. You see, part of owning your feelings is you know, what parts of those feelings do apply and what parts of what's been said to you do not apply? Mm-hmm. It works both ways. So I'm not, if that's an odd uh, statement. I've never even heard that. What is that a reference to? Forgive me. I,
3: um,
0: nobody's what? ever called me that.
3: Oh, Um. well, whitewashed is a term used for um, people of color who um, seem Americanized or... Um, don't reflect their ethnicity.
0: I see. I see. They're passing.
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Or there used to be a term in the black community, Oreo.
3: Right.
0: Yeah. Blu-was-y. So, again, do you. So, you're telling me then you understand that as you get more clear about who you are, regardless of the amount of melanin in your skin, you can, you can be part of the mainstream society and honor your ethnicity for all of its beauty and diversity, and feel comfortable about your individuality. And the more you know about those things, the less a statement like that could hurt.
2: Right.
0: I mean, it's like Obama. They were saying that he wasn't black enough. That's really not about skin color. That's about not having had the experience of being a black man in America, generation after generation. But I don't know, that's, that's...
3: I I think this country's come a long way due to the fact that he has such a high, um, well, he's, he's, I mean, he's competing with Hillary. Uh And I think this country's come a long way. I think it has more to go, but it's it's good to see him running.
0: I agree. He's got a vision. He's got a vision. Thank you very much. Nice talking to you. We're pretty much out of time. Thanks, Amy. Uh, Yeah, that's exactly what we're talking about. When you take ownership of an emotion. People can't hurt you without your permission. And then you say, well, you know, maybe I have been stupid in this area or could be smarter in that area. We'll talk about it more in the future. Remember to tune in next week. i got a special program for you. I'll be out of town, but my wife, Doreen Key, will be interviewing William Rodriguez about 9-11. He was there, folks. He heard the explosions in the basement before the first plane hit. Don't miss it. Next week, InterVision, Friday at 1.00. And then I'll be back the week after that. I want to thank um, Jose Juan for engineering, and uh, Brooks for uh, producing, and uh, my wife, Doreen Key, for all her help, Christine Blasdale for all of her help. My web guys, uh, Kurt Wyman and Craig Duncan and Roy Batchelor, and most of all you for listening. My website, theagelesswisdom.com. Remember that the T-H-E is always be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. This is Michael Benner.